Hey, Not Past It listeners, it's that time again. This week, the historical domino effect is back. That's when we tell you a series of mini history stories. Each story leads to the next in a chain reaction and will end up in a completely different place from where we started. In the past, we've gone from the Immaculate Conception to Miley Cyrus, camels in the military to the founding of West Hollywood. And on today's journey, we're going to feel the burn. Go for the burn. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. I'm Simone Polanin. On today's episode, we're going back 115 years ago this week, September 28, 1907, when the talk of London was the tiny waist craze. And from there, we're going on a domino journey, exploring women's fashion, fitness, and the surprising role they both play in American politics. The dominoes are all lined up, and we'll knock over the first one after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. So... We are just about to set off on our domino journey through more than a century of women's fashion. But before we get going, uh, I am joined today by Aparna Nancherla. Aparna has played characters in Netflix's BoJack Horseman, HBO's Search Party and Crashing, just to name a few. Her stand-up is all about bringing humor to serious subjects, which will come in handy in today's episode. And if you two are cursed with the burden of a Twitter account, you know, she is one of the few bright spots on that website. Welcome, Aparna. It's a true delight to have you here. Thank you for that very kind bio. (laughs) Well, um, before we begin, I'm just curious, how would you describe your personal relationship to fashion? I'm very suggestible. So like I'll see a model wearing something on like an Instagram ad, and then I'll just briefly imagine it on myself and it will generally always look like it did on the model. And that's not how reality works because I don't have a model body or proportions. So I I guess I'm an aspirational dresser, I would say. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we are going to venture through a long history of women's fashion pre-Instagram. Great. Are you ready to knock over the first domino? I'm so ready. All right. Let's begin with domino number one. So our journey begins in the summer of 1907, 
when a particular women's fashion trend was taking over London. It was called the wasp waist. Whoa. So, you know, women in the early 1900s were trying to uh, make themselves look like uh, insects, I guess, with this exaggerated version of the hourglass figure. Who doesn't fancy themselves to have that wonderful segmented body? At this particular time, they were achieving that look using the corset. Um, And the corset wasn't new. It had been around for a while by that point. Uh, But that summer, the style that had come back into vogue was called tight lacing. In September of 1907, uh, a London dispatch to the New York Times was cabled to readers across America, and the headline read, Tiny Waist Craze Seizes on London. This was like the the male booty shorts of then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the paper spoke to a London corsetier, which is a fancy word for a corset seller, about the trend. And they reported that um, it was typical for teen girls to come in with their mothers. And there was one mother in particular who asked that her daughter's waist be strapped in and shrunk, aka trained, down from 20 inches to 16 inches. So small. I think that's a bracelet size. That's just to give you some context, that is literally like if you were to put your hands, you know, encircled fingertip to fingertip. Yeah, I love that women are always like, can we be more uncomfortable? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the corsetier um, sold the mother and daughter three corsets so that she could sort of gradually train her waist smaller and smaller. Right. And uh, as luck would have it, that teen girl uh, managed to achieve that 16-inch waist in time for a garden party at none other than Buckingham Palace. And then she was just so happy for the rest of her life. <laughs> yeah, she lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. This this garden party at Buckingham Palace was a very sort of see and be seen type of event. And I was trying to think of, like, what would be the modern-day equivalent of, like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to take four inches off my waist to go to this uh, party. I mean, I was just thinking of, like, award shows or the Met Ball. I could see someone being like, I'm just going to show people that I no longer have a middle. I just start, I have a torso, and then it just sort of, there's nothing in the middle, and then I have hips. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, there were many, many downsides to this style. Um, you know, when worn over a long period of time, a tightly laced corset could deform your chest and rib cage. Oh, God. Um, it made it very difficult to breathe. And it could even cause your core and back muscles to atrophy. Wow. A lot of the early corsets were made with wood or even whale bones. So just wearing them was painful. They were like, do you feel like your ribs aren't doing enough for you? Here's another set of ribs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, However, over the course of the next decade, corsets fall out of favor. Writers at the time connected the collapse of the corset to the rise of women's freedoms in society. The suffrage movement was underway. More women were working outside of the home. And, you know, fashion tends to uh, follow political movements. And so in this modernizing world, women wanted modern clothing including, you know, modernized undergarments. Yeah. Which brings us to our next domino. 
domino number two. New and modern women needed a new and modern undergarment. And I'm curious, do you have any guesses as to what they upgraded to from the corset? So I'm thinking something maybe a little more form-fitting. Kind of on the right track. That's not too far off. So after the corset came the girdle. Oh, the girdle. The girdle. I've heard that term thrown around, but I think I always thought it was just also a corset. Yeah, a little less restrictive, but served a similar purpose as the corset. Um, They were worn to, quote, correct sag, fat, bulge, and jiggle. And it also gave women the the slender waist that was really the sort of desired beauty at the time. People Um, really don't want women to have a waist. Yeah, it's um, actually illegal. Uh, (laughs) Women aren't allowed. Um, We actually have a picture of what the girdle looked like, and we're going to pull that up for you. Right now. I mean, it kind of looks like if you pulled a tube top below your breast and were like, I'm going to wear this low. (laughs) And then it sort of ends right, I would say, right past the crotch area. Yeah, it really is like, yeah, let's just shove this woman into this tight rubber sleeve. It does feel funny that the metaphor for like women getting freer is just like giving them a little more movement in their clothing. Like it's like literally we've been imprisoning them in their clothes. Girdles were an improvement on the corset, uh, but like we're saying, they weren't exactly comfortable to wear. And there's one story that is especially illustrative of this. So there was a story published uh, in the magazine Canadian Living um, that asked a bunch of women to submit their girdle horror stories. And there was one of a woman named Rose. She was going on her first date with a guy, and five of her friends had to help her get into her girdle. If you remember my space of, like, your top eight, like, your top five (laughs) friends are your girdle friends. (laughs) She goes on this date. She has a couple drinks at dinner. Eventually, she has to use the bathroom. And she realizes, oh, I cannot actually go to the bathroom without fully undressing myself. The jumpsuit quandary. So she does. She she does. She gets fully undressed to go use the bathroom, but then realizes, oh, shit, I don't have my five girdle friends around me, and she can't get herself back into the girdle. So she breaks down sobbing in the bathroom. Oh, no. And luckily, a kind stranger finds her there in distress. The two of them manage to get the girdle back on. Wow. Rose finishes the date and uh, ultimately goes on to marry that man. That is like the equivalent of, like, getting a tampon from a stranger, right? Oh, yeah. Those, like, moments in the bathroom of, like, quiet knowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... As far as the girdle went, something had to give. This came up in a bunch of surveys that one company conducted. They wanted to know more about women's dream innovations. And there was a resounding answer to please, please improve the girdle. This garment is uncomfortable. It sucks. We need something better. And luckily, an improvement on the girdle was just around the corner. And that takes us to domino number three. So this uh, series of surveys finally answered the big question, 
what do women want? And what they wanted was better undergarments. Sure. Because <laughs> what else could you need? <laughs> so these surveys were put out by the DuPont Company. Uh, does that name ring a bell by any chance? It does, but now I can't remember what they made. So DuPont is a very old American chemical conglomerate. So they make a bunch of different things. When it started in 1802, some of its earliest products were things like gunpowder and explosives. DuPont supplied the U.S. government and its allies with nearly 1.5 billion pounds of weapons during World War I. And Time magazine reported that because of their weapons business, DuPont had developed a reputation as a merchant of death. Oh, good. They're like, dang, we have this awful rep as, you know, war profiteers. Um, Time to clean up the self-image by catering to women. A natural pivot to women's passion. Yeah, yeah. Um, In 1935, they actually rolled out a new friendly slogan, Better Things for Better Living Through Chemistry. Better Things for Better Living. And around this time, they they launch a bunch of products aimed at women. They invent nylon for pantyhose. Uh, They invent Teflon for nonstick pots and pans. Okay. And so in the late 1940s, DuPont secretly got to work on developing a new fiber that would make a better girdle. And the project became known internally by the codename Fiber K. So a chemist by the name of Joseph Shivers led the charge, and he wanted a fiber that had give, that had bounce back. They worked on developing this for almost 10 years. Wow. And finally, in 1958, Fiber K became a reality. It was stretchy but form-fitting. It felt light against the skin but was strong enough to handle machine washing and drying. And it was used in this women's undergarment revolution. And it is a fabric that you are probably familiar with. Do you know what it could be? I'm going to guess spandex. Yeah. It was spandex or lycra. Uh, fun fact, spandex is an anagram of expands. Because it has, it has that give. It's got that give. Yep. And right away, they start adding lycra to girdles. And we actually have some ads of these uh, early Lycra girdles from 1962. Um, Yeah, describe to me what you're looking at here. It says, at last, a girdle that lets you breathe even after shrimp, steak, french fries, salad, parfait, and coffee. The perfect meal. Do you feel like you would be swayed by these uh, Lycra girdle ads? I think... I don't know if it's that I came up in an era where people were finally like, I don't know about all this women's product marketing, but I feel like whenever I read an ad for like a woman's body or beauty product, I like just already feel rage. Like I just can't buy into the fantasy at all. I'm like the worst demographic for them. That sounds uh, very healthy and (laughs) (laughs) well-adjusted. These ads uh, may not have worked on you, Aparna, but at the time... The Lycra girdle was a huge hit. Um, But as the 50s became the swinging 60s and beauty ideals shifted, you know, the twiggy look was becoming more popular. Um, And also mini skirts were the latest fashion trend. And you can't really wear a girdle in a mini skirt because your girdle would show. 
Plus, the politics of the 60s were at play. Women even burned their girdles in protest. You know, they didn't want to be held in. They wanted their freedom. But that just left a bunch of extra lycra sitting around. So do you have any idea, any guesses as to where this all went? I I can't tell what year it is, but I'm like, if we're in the 70s and 80s, I mean, that's like, what didn't it go into? <laughs> I feel like that was the entire mindset of the 80s. Like, can you make it in lycra? Well, that takes us to domino number four. You're right on the time, 70s, 80s. Lycra gets taken up by the aerobics crowd. Right. Now to the pelvis. Front, back, front, back. Push it, pull it, push it, pull it. Yeah! Now, aerobics had caught on largely because of one woman by the name of Gilda Marx. Marx as in Marx Brothers. She was actually Whoa. married to one of the Marx Brothers' sons. Wow. And the way sort of Gilda describes her background is she says she grew up a chubby girl who grew into a self-conscious young woman. And as a teen living in L.A., she sort of felt uncomfortable. She didn't feel like she fit in. And her sort of solution to that was to lose 20 pounds. Hmm, That's weird, though, because I feel like L.A. really promotes positive body image. (laughs) Yeah, weird. (laughs) Must have been different back then. Uh, We actually found Gilda and called her up. She's in her 80s now, but very much still knows how to take charge of a room. I think it's important to begin at the beginning, which is what I thought you wanted, Simone. I began my journey when I was asked to get a group of women in shape, and classes were taught at my home, outside on my patio, to motivating music. And Gilda's workout was a hit. It got very popular through word of mouth alone. And in the mid-70s, after training out of a small studio for years, she upgraded to a baby blue penthouse in Century City and called it Body Design by Gilda. And it overlooked all of Los Angeles. And it, for me, it was a dream come true. And it was here that celebrities like Barbara Streisand and Sylvester Stallone that Midler, Terry Moore, Priscilla Presley, and so many other celebrities worked out in my new exercise studio. I knew I was on to something. LA's most toned and firmed would work out there in leotards or sweats made out of cotton. Now, this got Gilda thinking, could she create a more perfect aerobics uniform? If I could develop a really important fabric that would move with their movements and would cuddle their body so that they were really comfortable and felt secure in, and I found it. Gilda found the perfect fabric, a lycra blend, and she called her invention the flexitard. And it was just The most incredible thing to see women wear my flexitards and want more and more and more. The Lycra blend she used in her flexitards flattered different body types. And in Gilda's words, they were fantastically glamorous. And Aparna, 
We've got some images of these flexitards, and I think you'll want to see them because they are quite something. So tell me, tell me what you see here. I mean, just a absolutely gorgeous, sassy, bold print of jewel tones. Yeah, it starts, you know, it's um, has sort of a bathing suit top, and then it ends in like bike shorts. I was gonna say, I think I was that I'm was that one person like after the uh, Lycra Revolution, still showing up in like my old PE shorts and T-shirt, <laughs> looking like a fool. Yeah. You know, fine in my book. I don't know what Gilda would have to say about that. There is one other famous person who walked into Gilda's class in 1978. Um, She was looking for a new way to stay fit. She's an actress, but is also well known for her political voice. And she sort of takes Gilda's uh, aerobics and really runs with it. I think I know who it is. Who, who who do you think that may, might be? A wonderful lady named Jane Fonda. It sure is. It sure is. And we'll get into Jane Fonda after the break. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. All right, welcome back. Aparna, can you give us a quick summary of what uh, we have journeyed through so far. Yeah. Okay. So women's fashion has always been sort of like, how can we put women in like a cage, but just make them wear it around? So it started with literal bones, which was like the whalebone corset. That morphed into the girdle, which was more like a rubberized tube mm-hmm. top. And then... That turned into the invention of Lycra, which uh, helped spur the aerobics revolution. Wow. Beautiful recap. Now, this is where our domino journey is going to take an interesting fork in the road. So you know how sometimes when you like you line up your dominoes and it'll go into a straight line, but you know how people get fancy and they like they'll split the two paths and the dominoes will like go in opposite directions? Yes. So we're having a little bit of that moment in history here. So we'll follow one path, um, which is this Jane Fonda path, and then we'll come back around uh, to another strange turn of events. But first, let's go to domino number five. So Jane Fonda walks through the doors of that Century City penthouse. She falls in love with Gilda's workout, She becomes a regular at the studio. Oh. With Jane Fonda, she saw, you know, more potential in aerobics than just sort of doing jumping jacks in the back row of some studio. She thought that women across America might want to try aerobics. And so Jane Fonda struck out on her own and presented women with another option. She published a book, aptly titled Jane Fonda's Workout Book in 1981. Wow. And the next year, 
she taped her own aerobics routines and sold them to the masses on VHS. Are you ready to do the workout? Women loved the tapes, uh, and for the <laughs> the low price of fifty nine ninety five, yeah, insane. Uh, you too could work out with Jane in the privacy of your living room. You know, interestingly enough, Jane Fonda happened to launch her VHS empire at a very opportune time. Uh, this happened to be right around the time when uh, VCRs were becoming more affordable. Um, they were in, you know, many households across the country. And her first workout video is still one of the best-selling VHSs of all time. That's impressive. Um, now, Jane Fonda made a lot of money through her workout empire, and that money ended up helping fund her and her husband's political causes. Wow. So at the time, Jane was married to Tom Hayden. He had made a name for himself as a student activist protesting the Vietnam War and later became a prominent liberal California politician. And all of the profits generated by her workout business went to their shared political action committee called the CED, or the Center for Economic Democracy. Wow. So the CED championed causes like rent control, environmental regulation, uh, workers' rights. And as of 1984, Jane Fonda's workout had funneled uh, millions into the CED. So if you paid for a class or bought one of her books or a workout tape, uh, you contributed to the couple's causes. Dang, take that, class pass. So if you remember, our dominoes had a bit of a fork in the road. So we followed one path uh, to Jane Fonda. Mm. But if we go back to Gilda Marx and the rise of aerobics fashion, there is another direction that we could follow the dominoes in. Okay. And that takes us to domino number five again. Now, because of the rise of aerobics fashion, Lycra got really big. Like, it was worth $4.5 billion. That's actually how much uh, the business was worth when DuPont sold it and the rest of its textile vertical called Invista in 2004. And this new buyer for Lycra was one of the biggest producers of the chemicals required to make the fabric and other synthetic fibers. That company was none other than Coke Industries. What? Sounds like you are familiar with the uh, with Twist. the name. <laughs> Twist. Coke Industries uh, owns thousands of miles of oil and petroleum pipelines. Right. It also owns consumer brands like Brawny Paper Towels, Dixie Cups, a cattle company here, a trading business there. Coke Industries really covers quite a breadth of industries. Now, the majority of Coke Industries was owned by the Koch brothers, David and Charles Koch, and their empire all started with their dad's fossil fuel business. Oh, good. One of the brothers, David, died in 2019, but Charles Koch is still alive. And together, they are still well-known as conservative and libertarian donors, often through so-called dark money mechanisms that are difficult to trace. But the part of their legacy that I wanted to focus on for this story um, is, you know, their work on essentially spreading misinformation about climate change. They've supported candidates and front groups who deny climate change. 
Uh, One of their foundations helped fund a 2007 paper that suggested that it's too early to say whether or not polar bears are actually threatened by global warming. They actually Um, love it. (laughs) (laughs) Polar bears just want to chill in the sun. Yeah. All right. So where does Lycra fit into all of this? Well, Coke Industries eventually sold off that business for billions of dollars. That sale was completed in 2019. But here's the punchline. For much of the last two decades, if you bought anything containing Lycra, you were indirectly supporting Coke Industries. And ironically, lots of outdoor brands use Lycra and other Invista fibers in their products. Companies whose stuff we see around all the time, like Marmot... The North Face, you know, companies known for their environmental halos. Jeez, Um, everything is bad. I'm I'm curious, like, do you feel like you have seen other places where fashion and politics are intersecting in these ways? A lot of fashion stuff I knew has unsavory, like if you trace it, it's going to end in a sweatshop or (laughs) fossil fuel company. Yeah, if I want to participate in the world, I guess... I have to fund, uh, yeah, unsavory activity. But now it feels more like every clothing site I go to, there's some sort of pledge, sustainability pledge. So they know people are like, what are your dirty secrets? Like, unless it's like our corporate pledge is to shut down our company. Yeah. <laughs> you probably have to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. It's like we will we will produce with impunity, but if you want, you can bring in your old clothes into the store and we'll dispose of them for you. Uh but on the other hand, you know, you have a company like Patagonia that seems to be making more of an effort. Um, the founder recently transferred his ownership to a nonprofit and trust designed to combat climate change. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's it's pretty bleak. Thrift everything and, you know, patch what you have. I'm just trying to think, like, how how do you move the world in that direction? Ooh, great question. Great question. So is that something we should try to solve right now? Something for your listeners to think about and just resolve. <laughs> yeah, why don't you guys solve that problem? Think about it. Get back to me. So we saw how fashion changed along with politics, you know, the corset and suffrage, the girdle and women's lib. But we also saw how fashion is literally political. It's tied to organizations like the CED and Coke Industries. All right, well, thank you, Aparna, for joining me on a whirlwind journey of fashion and politics. Oh my gosh, thank you for all the new information I have. And you're welcome back anytime. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Laura Newcomb. Next week, we're bringing you a story from our friends at Heavyweight. This is where I spot something unbelievable. Right behind Ken Carter is the man who betrayed him. Our associate producers are Julie Carley, Ramoy Phillip, and Nick Del Rose. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Annie Gilbertson and Andrea B. Scott. 
Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman, sound design and mixing by Emma Munger and Katherine Anderson. Original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co, with music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Danielle Friedman. Her book, Let's Get Physical, is all about the history of women's fitness. And to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzica, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, Ella Walsh, Ariel Joseph, and Joshua Bianchi. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. I still run into students 45 years later that tell me your, your flexitard never wore out. I was at an event one time at someone's home and she dumped a whole drawer full of my garments.